The NFX podcast is about seeing what others do not and getting at the true mechanisms behind people and companies that endure change in the world. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know by leaving a rating and review and by sharing with friends you think should listen. You can also discover more content like other episodes, transcripts, essays, and videos by following us on Twitter at NFX and visiting NFX.com. And now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here with the Stoner Cats team, which we will get into what Stoner Cats is. But first, I want to introduce who I'm here with. We're going to play a bit of a game since it's more than one guest on the show today. So when I say your name, just say hi so people know whose voice is whose. So going in order of who I see on my screen, we have Lisa Sturpikov. Lisa, say hi. Hello. Lisa is the woman behind a production company called Orchard Farms, which she's a partner with Mila Kunis in that. And Mila will come into the story later as well. Lisa's the one who makes sure this train is running on time, makes sure we have all of our I's dotted, all of our T's crossed, and makes us all laugh. So Lisa, thanks for being here. We'll come back and hear more about you later. Mac, we've got Mac Flaville. Hey! <laughs> that is what he sounds like. Mac started a company recently called Big Head, which stay tuned for more from Big Head, but NFTs, like the world has never seen them. Previously, Mac was at Dapper, the brains and creative genius behind Top Shots, Crypto Kitties, and a lot of things that the world will be shocked and awed by. So Mac, thanks for being here. Yeah. And we got Maria Badra. Maria? Hi, everyone. Hey, Maria. Maria's at Sound Ventures, where I want to say leads. She really leads like all of their crypto everything. And they do a lot of crypto everything. So she's the woman behind all of the interesting things that they're doing there. And she's also the woman behind most of the non big head teams NFT knowledge on Stoner Cat. So Maria's the NFT expert addict. NFT fangirl. <laughs> NFT fangirl. So What's Stoner Cats? Who wants to answer? So Stoner Cat is a new animated short series that we're releasing through NFTs. We're releasing 10,420 NFTs. If you purchase one of the NFTs, you get access to watch the content and watch the first episode of content. The 10,420 NFTs, so there are seven characters in the show. Is that right, Lisa? Yeah. Okay. The 10,420 NFTs are around the seven characters in the show. So there are six cats and then Mrs. Stoner. Each cat has varying rarities. It's all algorithmic generated. Our animator, Ashy Hand drew every single piece of art and then we kind of combine them together to create one of one unique nfts for each cat and for each character and so if you buy one of these cats it gets you access to watch the content and so we're releasing all 10,420 at once if we are successful and we do decide to make future episodes we have an entire season written and for every new character that is introduced we'll release another 1,000 nfts we believe that in the first season we'll have three new characters introduced which will introduce 3,000 new nfts each thousand is around that one specific character. So in total, we believe if we're successful, there will be 13,420 NFTs that give you access to watch all of the Stoner Cats content that we create. And that is Stoner Cats. I guess to kick us off, what is an NFT? We might have some people here who don't know what it is, or we might have some people here who know what it is, but don't know how to explain it to their grandma. So yeah, happy to. And if I butcher anything, just, you know, people jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. It lives on the blockchain. Essentially what non-fungible means, and non-fungible is different from fungible, where fungible, like if you have a dollar, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, same thing everywhere. What 
non-fungible means is that, you know, you have one thing and it's different from another thing. And so it's not the same. So it's not, you know, composable. It's not fungible. So NFTs are non-fungible tokens. They're unique assets that live on the blockchain. They can be anything from digital art and collectibles, which is like where kind of mainstream NFTs have come from, to, you know, you can track plots of land as NFTs. It can be any individual unique item that lives on the blockchain that you want to track in perpetuity. Great. That's a great definition. So you heard from Mari, we've got this NFT DNA on the team, but we also have this entertainment DNA on the team. So we see you're up next because I think you can explain, I guess, how these two worlds merged and not only how these two worlds merged, but why these two worlds merged. Because I think from the outside, people will see stoner cats or they'll hear about stoner cats and they're like, oh, you know, I roll. It's another NFT project from celebrities, you know, a money grab. Celebrities trying to use their names to sell things to nerds on the internet. But that's not the case here. Like, yes, there are like quote celebrities involved, but I think what's really unique about Stoner Cats is we came together with a problem and it just so happened that the only, the right technology choice to solve that problem happened to be NFTs versus trying to retrofit the other way of like, okay, we want to do something with NFTs, right? We got this thing. And so I'm going to pause and not to call you out, but you're new-ish to the crypto world. Brand new. Brand speaking Your perspective. Yeah. How did this all come to be? Because Stoner Cats was in your mind laptop before really any of us had heard about it. So. Yeah. You know, the why is the really big part of this and the real exciting part of it for us. And when I'm speaking of us, I'm speaking of me and Mila together who have been developing this project for well over a year. We initially met with our three creators, Ash Brannon, Sarah Cole, and Chris Gardegania. The three of them are just like the best of the best in terms of animation. I mean, Ash directed Toy Story 2 and between the three of them, they've worked on every kind of animation that you've ever heard of. And they were bored working on some kids stuff and had this amazing idea for these cats who become sentient when their owner hotboxes them with their medical marijuana. And their owner is an old woman named Mrs. Stoner and she's got all these cats and she smokes some pot and they become sentient and then, you know, hilarity ensues. We've loved this project forever and we're having a hard time actually kind of getting it launched off the ground in traditional Hollywood ways. I think the combination of it being drug content, which actually is really challenging, surprisingly, in Hollywood, they don't want a lot of it actually less than ever. So that was a real challenge. And then there is just a lot of animated content out there, particularly in the adult animation space. And we were unexcited about the options that we had in terms of putting it out there and wanted to think outside the box. And it's one of the wonderful things about Mila is she's like, is this the best way for us to do this? We had an option of doing it in a more traditional animation route. And we had a real conversation of like, is this the best way? And so as we're sitting there with our creators, she yelled over to Ashton and said, hey, hey, could we do this? as an NFT. Also, what's an NFT? And so we really went all the way back to like, we knew nothing. Mila and I had heard of NFT, sort of knew what it was, but I mean, like really only the tiniest bit. And Ashton was like, absolutely. And you know who you need to talk to? And immediately said, Maria and Morgan, two of the smartest women I now have ever met in my life who knew so much about this space and were so gung-ho to help us make this show. And to be really fair, you know, there's a lot of like celebrity cash grab thing. Nobody's made $1 on this. Our incredible animators have done this for free. We have all done our work for free in hopes that we can make enough to make more. Like our whole goal 
is to make more and to not have to take notes from company that has a corporation that has a legal department. Instead, to be able to make the show that we want to make, even if that means that we have to make it in five minute bursts in order to be able to put it out there to the world. So that's how we started that. And then Morgan and Maria came in and made it better. The one amazing thing about Ashton, like I've been working with him for the last four and a half years, but he's so good about bringing together the right people and also like empowering them in the best ways possible. Like he recognizes what, what people are good at and then he lets them run with it. And for him to bring, you know, Morgan and I into the loop here, I mean, it was pretty incredible. It was definitely the right time, right moment, right opportunity. So Mac, your Genesis story is up next. So, you know, you're some NFT hotshot. You know, CryptoKitties was arguably like really the first mainstream, I put mainstream in quotes, but NFT that the world had heard about. So you've got celebrities and agencies and, you know, everyone knocking on your door saying, please help, please help. And I know that when we first reached out, you were like, you know, viral celebrity cash grab. And you weren't just like, oh, shiny names, I'm in. So what was it for you that ultimately made you decide to bet your time and your team's time, which is so scarce and valuable because you guys are starting this new venture on this project. There's a story that I don't know that is true, but I'm going to tell it like it's true because I like to tell stories like they're true. And this is the story of uh, the old Hasidic rabbis. And the idea was that if you were curious about Judaism, you would go and you could approach. I mean, where would you start? Well, maybe you would see a Hasidic rabbi and you would say, sir, like, can you help me understand the world as you see it? And they would say no. And that was that. And it was three times that you have to go back. And if three times you go back and you are committed to the journey, then they will begin to peel back the veil and let you see what is behind the cloth. And I always thought that was a really neat way to test commitment. So I like the story because I get to be the old Hasidic rabbi and Maria gets to be the spiritual quester. And Maria and I were becoming friends as we were talking about NFTs. She works at Sound. They invest money in companies that are going to change the world. I own a company that is going to change the world. And to be honest, we'll get why I bring this up. But at the time, we had finished, air quotes, our seed round. And I looked around and I was like, wow, literally every single person at the table has a penis. That's the one thing. We have people of every creed, but there was no gender interesting things happening at all. And so I talked to a guy named Kelvin, who is an investor of ours, and he's a football player, uh, NFL player, Kelvin Beecham, hell of a guy. And I was like, dude, I need to do better. Like, is it exactly this moment where the 40-year-old straight white man with lots and lots of opportunity, because I got opportunity falling up my wazoo, needs to do something about it. So how do I do that? Who do I talk to? And he introduced me to some incredible people. And one of them was named Sabrina Hahn. And she's really, really neat. And she introduced me to Maria. And so I, I got talking to Maria and we talked about our company and our business. And that was really neat. But along the journey, Maria kept saying like, hey, we're working on this NFT thing. We're working on this NFT thing. We think there's an opportunity to change how content creators and content consumers connect, that there's an opportunity to burn the bridges in the middle and let the horses out. And I was like, yeah, you're right. A lot of people think, so what are you going to do about it? And we continued to argue about what that could be or what that should be. And after the third or fourth time of me being like, I don't know, like, I don't really see it. She was like, dude, shut up. Come talk to my people. And thus, I met the gang and I bent the knee. And now I serve the 3050 gang and making stoner cats. Just for context, Mac repeatedly, he listened a lot and then was like, that's a terrible idea, that's a terrible idea, that's a terrible idea. All right, well, here's some better ideas. And sometimes we went, nope, you're wrong, Mac. And sometimes we went, nope, that's a good point. But he is not, has not been a yes man in any sense of the word, but an amazing sort of facilitator for our vision and rather than imposing his own vision, which is like, scrape part of the team. 
And so for me, that was what was one of the things that was so compelling about this is it was like, oh, we're genuinely going to have a fresh perspective. We're going to have people who think differently, who've lived it differently, who experience differently, and they're going to bring that on top of this incredible, incredible suite of professional accomplishments that these people have, because we haven't really gotten into it, but every of the three women that are on this stage, air quotes, on this podcast with me, have accomplished exceptional fucking things on their own as professionals. And so you take this unique perspective that comes from a bunch of women who are saying, we are going to change how content is created and how crypto interacts with muggles. And then you add the professional experience that they've got together. And then you sprinkle me on top, like a little bit of sugar on your funnel cake. And you're like, oh man, it's going to be delicious. Let's eat. Quick glossary check. What is 3050 gang? That was you. That was one of your best contributions. Probably number one. Probably number one. (laughs) If you hear 3050 gang thrown out, what's 3050 gang? So to be fair, uh, Lisa already told you about the three creators of Stoner Cats. There's three people who are, again, exceptionally accomplished in what they've done in their field, like Oscar winning directors and animators and like people on that scale. Okay. Amazing people. They go to Orchard Farm Production and I wasn't there for any of this, so I shouldn't be telling the story, but they're like, yeah, okay, we want to do this thing. And so... In a very honest-to-God decentralized manner, there is currently a huge number of individuals working on this project with aligned incentives on a world that we want to see. And so that's really cool. It's also confusing as shit in the email chains and the Discord and those are trying to like have meetings and communicate and talk. And so my name is Mac and I have a friend, John and Christy, who I work with and we are Big Head and it's very easy to talk about Big Head. We know who Big Head is, that makes sure. When we talk about the creators, we're often talking about Ash and Sarah and Chris and that's really clear. But there's this other group of people in the middle is the group of people who are really behind putting this all together. And that is Mila, Mari and Morgan and Lisa and... If you were not me, but if you referred to a giraffe as a camel leopard, and I say that because in Latin, a giraffe is called a camel leopard. And if you referred to a giraffe as a camel leopard, then you would refer to MMML, which is Maria, Morgan, Mila, and Lisa, as 3050-3050. So it's the 3050 gay. That's where the name came from. It was as we tried to denote ourselves. That's why you need to have me shut up and now listen to 3050 gay and tell you about how they got here. So 3050 Gang and Mac, what's up? I mean, it's a good album title name. To rewind. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. Well, I was going to say, to sort of go back to, so we had this like need and desire, which was to put out this creative content that Mila and I believed so much in. And how are we going to do that? And Maria, like, let me tell you about all things NFTs. And like, she owns a million. She's like sharing, showing, excited about it. And we're like, what? And now here is how Mila and I can understand it the best. Back in the day, before we had kids, Mila and I played a lot of World of Warcraft. And so we both had little characters and we ran around and we'd five-man raid all the time. And with our own group, there was quite a group. But we also had, like, you know, you level up your armor, you level up your clothes. And so I could understand getting excited about this, like, virtual thing that can do something. And so what we loved is this idea that there is this, and everything that I'm going to say about NFTs is going to be totally wrong and from the most normie position ever. But the idea that I can have a virtual thing that provides me access to other things, the same way my like fancy shoulders in World of Warcraft increase my DPS, our artwork, our virtual thing is going to offer you access to be able to consume really great, fun content. And that to me and to Mila, that, that was really exciting. And once again, going back to creative control in the creator's hands, them making more money than anybody else on this. And by the creators, that's not us. That's been the most kind of satisfying, exciting part of this. And Maria's like, here's how this is going to work. Here's how the art works. And thank God we had an incredible artist 
one of the amazing things about NFTs is like, let's go back to like what NFTs are. They're non-fungible tokens. There's typically a smart contract behind it. What's really exciting about NFTs, at least from the creator perspective, right, is it kind of gives you back a lot of control or power. Guy, one of our partners at our fund, he like loves to talk about smart contracts and he's been in entertainment his entire career. So he's managed Madonna for like the last 30 years. He manages U2, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, all of that good stuff. And when he negotiates a contract on the behalf of like the artist that he manages and the artist that he represents, he's able to negotiate the best contract in the world because he's guy, but he's not scalable. And so what smart contracts and NFTs kind of enable, which is really exciting. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go down this avenue is whether you're Madonna or Shmadonna, whoever you are, with an NFT, you can get one of the best contracts in the entire world. And that's pretty magical. And the idea that instead of a studio or someone else generating most of the revenue from someone else's intellectual property, now that value can go back to the creator themselves. And that like has the potential to change how so much art and content and everything is created. That's one of the things that we're most excited about with this. I want to talk a bit more about how we got here and what the journey has been because I think it's a case study on using NFTs. On 9 p.m. It's a case study <laughs> oh my gosh. on 9 p.m. Daily and now multi-weekly or two or three times a week calls are start at 9 p.m. Pacific time and they last. I also think that the journey has been a case study on using NFTs for something that at least we haven't seen done yet. And kind of at every step in the road, we've been like, okay, what's the standard for this? What's the standard for this? And recognizing that there are not standards. So we kind of have to make, we all like math and numbers. We have to make decisions with the data that we have, but it's limited. So I thought we could, I guess, highlight some of the choices we've made that have turned into what Sonarcats will be and why we made those choices for people to learn from what we've done or for people to critique our choices or whatever it might be. So starting, it was like, you know, why use an NFT for this in the first place? As Lisa mentioned, because I was brought in, I was like, will you join a meeting with my partner and talk about NFTs? Which is when I got to meet Lisa, I remember our first date. And the whole time, I just remember, like, I kept writing down in my notebook, does this need to be an NFT? Does this need to be an NFT? Why does this need to be an NFT? Because I do think in the NFT space, you see a lot of like a hammer in search of a nail, like everything is now an NFT, but it doesn't necessarily make sense. So what unique properties of what we were trying to do required this to be an NFT? And there were a few reasons and like everyone please chime in. But one is we do think the art itself is really special. Like as Lisa and Mac have alluded to, the artist behind the show is award winning in every way. And it's not just a show, like it is art that people might want to own or we hope people want to own so ash has hand drawn all of the animation for the show every single one what's the crazy stat how long does each minute of animation take he can do 10 seconds a day he's doing this hand-drawn old school by himself animation like old school disney doesn't even have a team doesn't even have a team just himself you engineers and designers out there i don't know what like the code equivalent is of 10 seconds a day but it's wild so we're like okay like that's art he is an artist like we should be able to let people own a piece of that if they want but then it's like okay you could just sell prints so why does it need to be an nft what does an nft get you and mari has really been pounding the table from day zero that you need to get more value than you put into the purchase so what value does it unlock 
And that's where we had the idea of, okay, if buying the NFT solves the purpose of funding the show, then from the people creating the show, it solves the purpose of gets them paid. As Lisa mentioned, everyone's working for free right now, hoping that this works. It also allows the people making the show to maintain creative control of the show, because if they sell it to someone else, they don't necessarily gain that. And it allows the buyers of the NFT to be involved in the process. Like We hope to allow the buyers to have some creative control, maybe in the future. I might get killed for saying that. What if you can't see the show unless you buy one? And... Well, it's not the next bullet point, but it's extracting the last one you said, which is that you can't X unless you own one, and X you filled in that blank with you can't watch the content. But I think what's really interesting about the NFT space is emerging is it's not just you can't see the content, because people will find ways around that, is that you can't be a member of the community, not in the truest, realest, and most authentic sense of that word, and... That's not even just about like, oh, the community today, but that's about the option to be a part of the community in the future. And this could all go to heck. I mean, many things do. This could also be a transformative new way that incredible amounts of really, really, really neat content get made that does not have another way to come to life. And to be on the inner circle of people who are creating, who are directing, and who are supporting that kind of content, that is a privilege. So not only do you have access to that because you have the NFT, but this is where it gets weird if we do our jobs right you have the ability for that thing to grow for that thing to change in value as the community expands and the power of that community both the size and the power extend and expand if you have the grandfather or the grandmother's key if you have first access to that that's a very powerful interesting thing and so the idea that these nfts become essentially the trellis that communities grow up communities are like plants they're roses and they can blossom and be beautiful and they go to hell and they can just like rot the roots can get wet and nothing what happens but the content is like very obviously an extrinsic reward you get for owning this nft the community is possibly even more significant as an intrinsic reward for saying i believe in this i see a future that these people see and i know it's a long shot but i want to help these people get there not just because i believe in it because if they're right it's going to be very good for me and all of the content i'm going to create notice lisa i did not say anybody was ever going to make any money because i would never begin to imply that i'm simply saying that there's a lot of great content coming and you would have the earliest of access not only to consuming that but to being a part of bringing that to fruition. And that's a really neat place to be in. So the NFT as that lattice, the NFT is the framework by which not just content, but communities can blossom. It's a really neat thing about what we're doing if we manage to do it right. And Maria, really frankly, is the genius behind how many, how much, how, what does it get you all? I mean, the lady loves a spreadsheet. I understand some of them. And she's extrapolated out every number you could possibly think of. If this project is successful, I will take that credit. It goes to heck. <laughs> I'm washing my hands. It wasn't her. I think we're very eyes wide open that it might not work. And we're taking a risk. And we all generally believe that there's something there with this concept of using NFTs as access tokens. Like there's something there, like the whole point of removing the middleman from a funding perspective, while allowing the creators to maintain creative control perspective. Like there's something there. So we're running an experiment with new content. Are there experiments to be run with archival content? Are there other experiments to be run with new content where maybe it's an access token to a different facet of the production cycle. You know, we wanted to make sure that our NFTs were not just an access token too. That was like a really big thing that Mila yelled a lot about yelled. Like she's like yelling about this. No, she didn't yell. She just kept saying over and over. Screamed at us. She screamed at us. But early on, it was like, it needs to also be its own piece of art. And so 
you know, you get this wonderful piece of artwork on the block that lives in the blockchain that then also provides you this other access. So in and of itself, it is a wonderful thing and it is unique and it is, you know, you can do all the fun things that you can do with that. It can be your Twitter picture or, you know, all the things that people do with these things. Mario knows. Yeah, they make their Twitter picture. It's like a nod to, you know, what we're seeing already within the NFT ecosystem of all these like avatar based projects. But then there is an additional utility to it, which is really exciting. And like, I haven't seen a lot of other projects that have added something like that. I think going back to a little bit what Max said earlier, just around like the community piece, which are also really interesting about this model is if your NFT collection, and if this all works, right, and this is gravy and we're going to do it a million times again and this is just how we're going to produce content now the way that you can spend your dollars right you can spend it on the content that you want to watch and it almost becomes like your own little badge of honor or your own little what's the word i'm looking for like Like your curated sort of identity your entertainment idea like these are the projects that i like this is the content that i want to see there's something really magical about like being able to create that and i haven't seen that with a lot of other projects and they're amazing community driven projects like board ape Yacht Club is a great example of like building an incredible community around NFTs. And I think we can do something similar because now people are funding the content that they have to want to watch. They want to watch Stoner Cats, like you're going to participate in this NFT. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all our creators, we have our Discord up and running and our creators are in there every day interacting with the community and hearing. And I mean, we're doing a fun thing right now where, you know, it's like a naming game of like, what are the names of these cats? I mean, you know, we already have them named that's already made, but like having that sort of fun Rumpelstiltskin game is it's just it's a really fun place to spend some time on the internet which there aren't a lot of those around we generally have this philosophy of and 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 so you're getting a piece of art and you're getting community and you're getting access to watch the show and you get to interact with the creators and like we help the ellipses after the end just like keeps going and over time we add more and more to what you get for buying the cat one of the things that i found really neat about this process so far and i don't know a lot about making plastic entertainment i i, I don't have a lot of experience with that to be honest but i've become very fond of lisa through this process i would dare say we've become friends and i've learned a little bit about that journey and what's interesting to watch is the lessons that we've learned in software that are possible in software being applied to the entertainment industry and one way that that was taught to me before i ever showed up here but seeing it happens interesting and i'm gonna loop back to this and then contradict myself is this idea of the launch weekend like if you screw up the first 72 hours after your movie goes live you don't have a movie like you're done if you screw up your launch of a piece of software product that's called like day one that's exactly what you're gonna do and that's fine and then you're gonna do things like iterate and you're gonna you know no product survive first contact with the customer like all these things we know about building software we're going to try and capture as many of those lessons we can and as much of that experience we can. And then a much of the experience from the unveiling, because to be clear, I think nine of the last 10 NFT projects that really sold out, that you really care about, we're like, bam, that was freaking amazing. Actually, I can think of two that didn't. Sold out in eight hours. So we're back to a launch weekend. Suddenly we're like, oh yeah, no, we'll just update the website. I was telling the gang earlier, don't worry about spelling mistakes on the website. They all care about spelling mistakes. I don't care about spelling mistakes. I'm like, don't worry about spelling mistakes. We'll just update it later because it doesn't matter. It's software. You just copy, paste, and push it up to the server. And that is true of almost everything except your NFT. And so all these lessons of like, no, Max, sit down and shut up because we have to get this right. Like this matters on this day, on this time. This has to be good. And so I don't know that this matters that much to the consumer 
as far as like, oh, that makes this product cool. But as the creators of this, it's been really interesting to see like these two worlds zippering together as they layer together and you have to get the best lessons from both sides brought together in one cohesive track. You know, and it's interesting because I think that the melding of those two things, I mean, listen, this team is awesome and we're like, go team and we love each other and we really do and we all get along and it's like, this has been fun. There have been really intense challenges combining entertainment and nft can we talk about that a little bit lisa like about all of the stuff that you it's true i mean like our group chat is literally called sorry mac this is a girl's group chat it's called the safe zone because <laughs> lisa will be like we're all going to jail or this isn't going to work or whatever it is and it's like it's a safe zone this is where we're all about to freak out yeah so lisa what keeps you up at night or i mean everything <laughs> everything keeps yeah i mean that's the thing and by the way i have passed the baton of the biggest warrior to maria this week so that's great. I'm hoping to pass it off to someone else next week. And entertainment lawyers don't know crypto legal stuff. That's right. Our regular entertainment lawyers, the wonderful Morgan put us in contact with a crypto lawyer and we made them talk to each other. So like literally West Coast, East Coast on Google Meets, trying to figure out a way to make one contract that satisfied both parts of this, which took too long. I mean, it took forever in my mind, which really the reality is it was only like four weeks, but those four weeks were very stressful. Now it's out in the world and we have something to work from. And that's very exciting. And similarly, you know, creating all the other legal language that we need on this, you know, part of us was like, we're scrappy. It'll be, all be fine. And then it's like, oh, but we should probably do all of these other things. And we have like grownups, despite sort of wanting to not, wanting to just sort of like put it out there and, you know, consequences be damned. But instead we're being grownups. Lisa's the grownup of the crew. The rest of us are children. <laughs> oh, like, we can ask for forgiveness, not permission. It's totally fine. Just because I'm older than everybody doesn't make me the most grown-up. I think to that point and to Max's point, we're merging the worlds of software and entertainment. However, I would say it's software, crypto, and entertainment. And in some ways, I actually hadn't thought about this until now, crypto and entertainment might be more similar than traditional software in that what we're learning is an entertainment, you've got one shot, one opportunity. So whether it's the launch weekend, as Mac alluded to, or even the launch date, like with a launch date, unlike traditional software projects, like you have a launch date, but it's not written in blood because something might happen last minute, you might push it a day. So when we were even picking a launch date, you know, the team was like, okay, it's going to be this day, but you know, plus or minus three days. <laughs> and Lisa's like, no, like we have to go tell the Today Show or, you know, we have to like, we have to pick a date. I'm like, what do you mean you have to pick a date? We don't know how to pick a date. But crypto is similar where you've got one shot one opportunity you launch the thing people are putting their money into it you really can't like we could change the color of the website or you know something but we can't we have to get it right the first time and it's stressful but stakes are high but it's fun i'll also add on the talent front and on that world generally there's some places where we're meeting in the middle there's some places where we're going further to the crypto side and then there's some places where we need to go further to the entertainment side but something that i think is pretty freaking awesome the money is going to go directly from the buyers of the nfts split a million ways to all the people who are involved in making this possible there are a few positives that come from this one is the money is staying in crypto from the sale Two is it just, it's the right thing to do. We're doing it for this reason because we believe in this technology and it's the right thing to do. And three is it teaching us how to speak to muggles. I think this whole experience has taught me, at least I'll speak for myself, that I live in a bubble within a bubble where I throw out acronyms and words and phrases and we take for granted that we think everyone knows what these things mean. But I mean, Lisa and Mila have really been sober monitors. Like for example, if we were in one of our 
9 p.m. calls and we're talking about gas fees and how it's expensive and how do we like minimize that for the user. And Mila is like, can't we just call Ethereum and ask them to waive the fees? And completely legitimate question. And we all laughed. I mean, by we all, I mean, Mari and I laughed. Ash and the Thank you, Laugh. And I was like, wait, that's a really smart, that's a good question. That is a completely fair question. If you're new to this world, that's a fair question. So I think one of the many takeaways has been we've got a long way to go to educate non-crypto native people on this world if it's going to extend beyond the crypto native people. And even just getting the talent on board, I think, is one step in that direction. You're listening to the NFX Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, feel free to rate and review our channel and share this conversation with someone you think would benefit from these insights. Follow us on social at NFX and visit NFX.com for more content. And now back to the show. You know, there was a lot of education to be done about even what an NFT is. I mean, you know, we were doing all the education that we had to do for ourselves a week before suddenly we're having to educate our creative partners on that and including our, you know, our composer, who, by the way, is like amazing. That's been really an interesting part of it. That's all. I don't want to get you in trouble, but as we're talking about merging these two worlds, maybe they become one. So let's say it works. We can talk about separate. Like if it works for the roadmap of Sonar Cats, okay, fine. But like in the bigger picture, it works. People buy these cats. They get access to into the show. Lots of people do it. Everyone really gets it. We have a successful case study for this model. Reese, I don't want to get you in trouble because I know you still work in muggle land, but using your imagination, what does this mean for Hollywood? Well, you know, I don't know that I can speak to, although everyone I've talked to in Hollywood, every lawyer I've talked to, they've been like, everybody's asking around. Every studio is asking around. Anybody who holds a piece of IP is asking around about how do we then monetize our IP through this, which is an interesting question. It, it isn't totally the stoner cats part of this. The stoner cats part of this came the other way, which is how do we make more content through this? How do we create? How do we be, you know, creative? How do we have creative control through this? So it's sort of a separate question. So for like, for me as Orchard Farm, for me and Mila, we have like a bunch of projects that we love that for one reason or another, we don't see a traditional outlet for, we don't see a way that somebody's going to let us do what we want to do with it. Both of us have a tendency to want to jump onto something that nobody's seen before. It is really new. And it's really hard to get traditional Hollywood who has a lot of money up against it to want to green light those things. So for us, we have like a treasure trove, a drawer that will open up and say, let's look at what exciting creators we can put out there. And that's what we want to do is make more content. But you know, how will it change Hollywood as a whole? We haven't in our conversations with anybody, any of the other studios at this point, we have not heard any of them talking about the possibility that we see in it. I think they've more talked about how do we help service the fans by giving them a little piece, giving them something that feels more like merchandising of the show than it feels like the actual show. And that is a separate thing and it's fine. And I think for some fans, that's going to feel really good, but it isn't what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is use NFTs to create more content, to give the power back to the creators. To give power back to the creators and the fans, right? And the fans can and the fans yeah. get to participate in the content. Like instead of a big studio exec deciding what content is created, right? Like the fans can actually decide what content gets created too. I mean, you know, we've been developing in Hollywood forever and things get homogenized. And that's the kind of antithesis of creative freedom out of exciting things. And I'd rather take our guidance from our fans and to hear, to be able to end, to be able to like, we're not going to start making episode two because we can make it pretty fast now until we hear what you like about episode one. So that's going to affect, you know, we don't have to make an entire season before we make the second episode. We have a lot of ideas. We have a, a season broken out, but like if, you guys love, you know, Mrs. Stoner and want more of her. 
great. If you guys love Hammy and want more of him, let's do it. Choose your own adventure. I mean, we love games, so why not gamify it? People love games. People love having opinions. Just like this all just like makes sense. And I think for us, it just like broke. Yeah, this is obviously a content's going to be funded or a subset of it in the future. Just like makes so much sense, which is why I think we all happily get on 9 p.m. nightly calls and are working for free. And my partner is so a James. He says that Silicon Valley was all crazy uncles in the basement working on ideas for free on nights and weekends. And... That's what this whole revolution evolution feels like. We all have other full-time jobs <laughs> and this is really a passion project. It's a, it's a labor of love. That's why we're jumping on calls at 9 p.m. until midnight, which is way past all of our bedtimes. And we really you know, made this project come to life. We have a lot of founders who listen to this podcast. Hello, if you're listening to this podcast. I'm curious, Lisa, I keep putting you on the spot, but you're unique to this audience because you're not a tech person. What else in entertainment is a pain in the ass to the point that it might be solved in some way via this technology? And Mac, I know you're speaking to a lot of muggles as well. And Maria, sound is, you have a lot of friends on the other side of the line also. So what are products that you see the muggles asking to be built or problems that you solve, all three of you? The way that this can service talent to me is, I mean, that's a huge solution. I mean, I think that we use celebrities. Yeah. So musicians and actors and like, you know, all of that kind of big talent who I think from a regular person's point of view, feel like they have the most power in the room in Hollywood. They don't necessarily have the most power in the room and they certainly don't have control over the final product very, very often. So, you know, an actor's in a thing, they've read the script, they know who the director is, they know who the pieces are, but they don't have control over how their performance will ultimately be. There's an editor in there. There's a lot of pieces that will control how their piece of art will see the world, how the world will see it. And to me, I think it's super exciting, the idea that they can cut that part out and have the ability to have more creative control, to have their vision that they see it hit the world. I think that's a huge, exciting thing. I want to zoom in on that for a second, because there's been a question I've been trying to figure out how to articulate. It's too bad I said trying to figure out, like, it's really hard. But I actually have been thinking around this for a while. Decentralizing the entertainment industry isn't, that sounds like a first world problem. A bunch of people are like, man, like, you know, there's all these other problems that really matter. And that's true. And we can have this startup argument of infinite ad nauseum, which is, is the work you're doing matter in these things. But if we assume that we care about decentralizing major Western entertainment, which is kind of an interesting problem to have, what I've come to understand I think, and I'd love for you to correct me if I'm wrong, is that your job as owner and operator of a production company in Hollywood is people like Ash and Sarah and Chris come up with a concept. They manage to get themselves in front of you, which is probably pretty hard to do, but the good ones do. They meet you. You're like, yes, eventually. You're probably like, no, 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 maybe no, no. Eventually you get a yes. Once you have a yes in your portfolio, then you have to go. And I, I remember hearing you describe like hot LA days, just driving back and forth across town, going from one studio to another, trying to convince and this may be my interpretation, but rich old white men to let you make the movie that you need to make. If all of that is true, then how many people are choosing the content that we get to watch? Is there like six guys at Netflix, three guys at CBS, one dude at NBC, two people at Sony, and one asshole at Fox that are choosing the content? 
way more female than your business. So it's shockingly, there are plenty of men, but there are also plenty of women, especially in the last four years. Women, particularly in Hollywood, have been really raised up. But I mean, are there a small number of gatekeepers? Yes. Is there a huge amount of attrition? Yes. Is it just as hard to make a crappy thing as it is to make a good thing? Yes. And sometimes a thing that starts out good turns bad, and sometimes a thing that isn't so great gets a great director and becomes good. But there are a lot of gatekeepers. And like being able to kind of tear down the gatekeepers would be really exciting. But I want to go back to something that you talked about being a first world problem. And I'm going to say something that you guys can all roll your eyes at, so it's fine. I truly believe that art in all of its forms exists to illuminate what it means to be human. And that when we go into a movie theater and we go in front of a television, sometimes the most we can have really transformative moments as a community and as a people by viewing great stuff. And I know that we're doing something called Stoner Cats, and this sounds ridiculous, but the journey of Mrs. Stoner and her cats is beautiful. And there is humanity in it. And nothing that we need as a people, as a human people, to be brought together now more than I think we ever have been. And if we can put the power in the artists, we give them the opportunity to do that. So I'll get off my soapbox now, but I really believe that. Mario, when I texted you this morning and said we need a manifesto, that was what I meant. Okay, so storytelling matters, especially when you have a world as schismed as ours is today, for reasons that we don't necessarily know or certainly need to talk about now, we live in a fractured world. And our stories are important. I mean, you know, humanity has been telling stories forever and our narratives shape us. And if we can get rid of corporations that are afraid because they are afraid. They're afraid of kickback. They're afraid of being canceled. They're afraid of, you know, a million moms who's really like 10 moms who are fighting over something. If we can get rid of that and just bring the content straight without people. And by the way, I don't blame the corporations for being afraid. Their job is to make money. And if something becomes a problem for them and that gets in the way of their ability to make money, that's a problem. But if you can get rid of that middleman and bring the artists and the stories to the people, that's Nirvana. I hadn't thought about that. That makes a ton of sense for why now. I mean, the technology is here, but the studios being afraid and therefore not being able to give fans what they want. Like the other day I was talking to a friend. I'm like, when's the last time you saw a funny movie or anything funny? Like you can't be funny anymore because it's just not worth the risk. Because in order to be funny, you're probably offending someone. So if this somehow just gets us funny content again, I'm all for that. It's also intellectually uninteresting to not push those boundaries, to not be offensive sometimes, to not push it out there and then let people push back. Homogenizing, softening our content doesn't make us smarter and it doesn't bring us together anymore. You got to push some buttons to get people talking. But you can push buttons if you are a big organization right now. That's right. True of technology organizations as well. Now, the other side of this is all the people who have the voice who, in fact, you don't want to have the voice. Right. It's not all good. It's not only good that comes from this. The Internet destroyed the write, edit, publish order of operations. And now we go write, publish, edit. In fact, this is what we are talking about before. The Wired guy, that was his biz. This is his thing about write, publish, edit, write, edit, publish. It's not mine. And that's really neat and really cool. And, you know, when you give the powers of distribution earlier in the stack of creation, and this kind of thing happens, and that's cool. But also the Proud Boys come out of this kind of world. And so, you know, we were given a lot of hell for CryptoKitties and how stupid it was. It was at this apex of Silicon Valley hype where there was the 
goddamn cookie delivery people. And somehow those people were getting in all the shit for solving trivial first world problems on the week that we launched Crypto. When we announced that Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square Ventures had invested $12 million in the cartoon cats on the blockchain, it was like the apocalypse to a bunch of people who said, this is stupid, this is stupid, you have no idea how stupid this is. But... You remember the tweet? Greatest tweet of the last decade was we were promised flying cars and all we got was Facebook. And everybody's like, oh yeah, like, fuck technology. They didn't give us all this cool stuff. All they did was make Zuck's little army of, like, like bots or whatever. And a year later, people were like, the most dangerous thing on earth is Facebook full stop. There is nothing more dangerous than networked people without constraints. And so when you talk about stories mattering, I can't agree more with you. When you talk about it's okay to start with stoner cats, you said because the story here does matter because there is something cool here. And I'll tell you, my wife listens to a lot of my calls. A lot of people don't know that. My wife hangs out and listens to a lot of my calls. Give me lots of advice. And she listened to Sarah talking about the story of stoner cats on Discord for the first time. And she was like, Man, like, I want to watch that story. Never in all of the calls that she's listened to with the four of us plus all of our friends talking has she ever said, I want to watch Stonercast. My wife doesn't smoke weed. My wife thinks Stonercast sounds dumb. Until she heard Sarah talking about Stonercast. And then she was like, oh, man. So that's amazing. But even outside of that, dude, I make crypto kitties. And... There is a multi-billion dollar industry that is a byproduct of the work that people like I did. Obviously, it wasn't just me or just us. CryptoPunks were before us. A bunch of other brilliant people. Axie Infinity started right after. Like, so many cool things were happening in the space. But Chris Dixon wrote his blog post, The Next Big Thing Starts as a Toy. My counter-argument to Chris Dixon, or my addition to Chris Dixon, is that it's not just technology. It's culture. Whether it's SoundCloud rap with pink rappers or Salon de Fou in Paris or like whatever you want to have, there's moments where the establishment says, that's not art, that's stupid. And then the kids are like, cool, boomer, we'd be over here, you know, we're hanging out, doing our thing. And that becomes really interesting. That becomes very powerful. People talk about like in the 90s, in your garage, as a shitty teenager, you would start a garage band. That was your form of like what to do in the garage. Now you start a startup. But that's like the cool thing for kids to do in garages is go buy the Mac computer and start a startup. But that's up to each on their own. Stories matter. I agree with you. Our story is really, really compelling. When you hear the creators talk about it, it's inevitable. But they don't have to matter for what we're doing to matter. The future is going to be impacted by our work here regardless, but the future is going to be impacted for better and for worse. Well, I think the question is like, a, like what matters more, right? Controlling that and controlling kind of like, you know, managing that future that we want to see or is it about uh, the innovation that we're bringing, right? And what's the greater of the two evils, right? What one path, it's like, it's kind of like Facebook, right? Like I don't use Facebook today. I hate that Facebook tracks all my information. I don't love it. The fact that it brought all of these like communities online and it created this network where you could communicate with all of your peers and it made information so readily available. Like there was something very magical about that. And it was kind of important to the innovation. Now where they went, probably not the greatest, but what they enabled like enabled an entire new ecosystem and economy of innovation. So that's kind of the way I think about it. It's like there will be things that come out that we probably don't like, but it's not in our control. And the innovation that we're bringing matters more, I think, at this point. But who knows? In five years or 10 years, 
Proud Boys, this is this model, I'm going to be really pissed off. So I have never seen an incident, and I would love, like, as a sort of fan of history and a fan of the future, I would love to find an example of when I'm wrong. But I've never seen an example of the toothpaste going back in the tube. Let's all walk away. We managed to have not lit off a nuclear bomb on top of a human for 70 years, which is good. But that's after we did it twice and killed a bunch of people as a species. And so... One of the criticisms of technologists, people who spend their time doing what we're doing, Maria, is that like we just plow forward. We don't ever stop and say, is this good? It's possible. But is this good? Is this right? I don't know that a world where people did that would be interesting. Should we be doing that with something like Stoner Cat? And these conversations are interesting. Maybe we'll air this conversation. Maybe we won't. I hope we do because it's intriguing for us to think about the impact of our work. Hollywood content is very liberal. You know it is. We all know it is. And so sometimes they make shows that are sort of like red state shows and they are pandering. That's what they are. So very rarely, very occasionally, there is a red state scripted show that doesn't feel like it's pandering, that feels like it is organic to that space. But I mean, what if we gave red state opportunity to make entertainment content, scripted content that made the liberal coasts see things that we don't see so that it doesn't have to be as faction. So it doesn't have to be as if we're not pushing ourselves out to the edges anymore. I think that like giving the opportunity to, you know, the same way you, it's really hard to hate up close. And when you sit down at the table with somebody, it's really hard to villainize that person. And so if we can see inside somebody's home and see how they love their children too, I think maybe there's an opportunity. This is like me being an idealist. And then like, probably it's just a bunch of like incels, saying horrible shit but you know what i love the idea that we could reach a hand across yeah well and the other thing is like i mean a lot of content creation is not easy like it takes a lot we've seen it over the last few months like it takes a lot of fucking work and so i do think you're right lisa the people who are going to be empowered to create that content i don't think it's going to be like the people who it's not gonna be just like anybody not everybody's like going to be spewing like anti-vaccine stuff, right? It's going to be, there's a quality bar and a quality threshold that you need to surpass in order for this model to work. And so I think you kind of eliminate a lot of noise from that. Whereas today, like distribution, right, on Twitter or on Facebook is so easy for anyone. Like there's no quality content bar that needs to exist. But if you're going to actually sell content through the Stoner Cats model and you're going to finance content that way, there is a quality bar and a quality threshold that you need to meet. And distribution is not easy. Lisa, that point is you did the thing where the hair on my neck went up. That was very good like i'm out here like oh watch out the rednecks are gonna get crazy with their blockchain somebody in kansas wants to make content about their home their life somebody in wherever that you're not mac and i love the perspective that there's a bunch of people in that term that i've heard that's so amazing flyover country that have got stories to tell stories that we can unify have got heroes that we should all share and that i don't have access to those right now that i could have access to those using our model and then the really blockchainy thing here remember is that we are blurring the lines between creator and consumer so that person in that place where i haven't been and i'm sitting here being judgmental and shitty about can say hey like no i'm not a movie maker and i don't know how to make a movie but i can absolutely pay for this movie to be made i can buy an nft participate in a community and understand our perspectives and our worldviews and this This NFT allows me to fund that content and share that content. That's really, really, really neat. I mean, it's been an interesting perspective. I just moved out of Los Angeles. I just moved two hours out of LA and I'm in a purple, purple area. And 
finding it to be wonderful. I mean, I'm, you know, from 18 years old, you know, was the biggest liberal ever. And it's been interesting to hear other people's point of view. You know what we need to talk about is the golden ticket part of it, Maria. Why don't you talk about that? Okay. So one of the things that we thought about is like, how do we reward the early adopters or the community who gets involved? Because that's really an important piece of this. We're trying something innovative. It is a science experiment. And we want everyone who participates within this ecosystem to be rewarded with something more. And so this Stoner Cats NFT, it gets you access to our first episode of content, which is going to be about five to six minutes long. And then we sell, I think about if it's 50% of the NFTs, that'll actually fund the next four or five episodes of content. Each episode of content is about five to seven minutes each. And your one Stoner Cat NFT will give you access to watch the entire season of content in total about call it 30, 35 minutes long. But as an extra perk, so if we are successful with this model, if we sell out you know, 100% of the NFTs that we have available, we want to do this again. And we want to do this again and again and again. And so your Stoner Cat NFTs will actually become sort of a golden ticket of reference to, what's it called? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, golden ticket like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where if we do create new content using this model, your Stoner Cat NFT will become a golden ticket in order to access all of that content in perpetuity. And so by being an early adopter, by being an early believer in our mission and our vision, you actually get to participate in all the content that we get for the future. And I think it's something really magical that not a lot of other projects have. I mean, we have Orchard Farms, we have an amazing animators, we have all the most amazing creators that we can have access to. And it's something really special that we want to do to reward people participating. That was great. Thanks for doing this. Everyone tune in July 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific. July 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific. Get your hats. At NFX, we believe creating something of true significance starts with seeing what others do not. Send this episode to any friends that may need these insights and frameworks, and feel free to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening to the NFX Podcast.